0: Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. This show is sponsored by Comark, a global provider of innovative software products and business services. Comark's platform is used by leading brands across all industries to drive their customer loyalty. Powered by AI and machine learning, Comark technologies allow you to build, run and manage personalized loyalty programs and product offers with ease. For more information, please visit comark.com. So welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk Loyalty, and a number of weeks ago, some of you will have seen that we announced a very exciting collaboration uh, with perhaps one of the most famous technology companies in the whole world of loyalty marketing. So Comark is a Polish company, and it just has, um, I suppose, extraordinary credentials. And what I love particularly, I've often said, is I come to loyalty very much from an operational perspective. perspective. So I don't don't tend to know the ins and outs of all of the tech. But when I look at the clients, particularly of a company like Comark, it's always super reassuring. So today I'm going to be interviewing Sydney Dunn, who is the Client and Business Development Director for Comark in the Americas. So before I get into all his wonderful background, first of all, I'd like to say, welcome Sydney to Let's Talk Loyalty.
1: Hey there, Paula. Thank you for having me. Uh, very honoured to be on here and excited to, to engage in this conversation with you.
0: Wonderful, Sid. And uh, I know you've listened to lots of my past episodes as well, so that's always very flattering for me as an interviewer. Um, yeah, absolutely that's super exciting. And just, I suppose, by way of this context, Sid, as I said, I really have been on the operational side of loyalty programs. And as you know, and listener know, um, I live in Dubai. And for example, Comark is running loyalty programs for brands such as Costa Coffee in the UK, which I know is an extraordinary, very well-known European brand. Here in our region, we have Etihad Airways. I know Saudi Arabian Airlines and even Global I know you have BP as a client. So first and foremost, well done on all that amazing work.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we're very honored to be working with those customers. I mean, clearly, uh, they're benchmarks within their respective industries, and they've really set the bar high in terms of their loyalty program. So yeah. being the, the main loyalty and technology providers for them is, is a great honor for
0: us. Wonderful, yeah. And again, I mean, I've seen some of the RFPs that come through and the amount of work that goes into winning a contract like that is is a huge credit to you. So listen, let's get straight into it. As you know, we always start the show asking about your favorite loyalty statistic. So Sydney Dunn, tell me, what is your favorite loyalty statistic?
1: Yeah, um, so I get to see a lot of interesting loyalty statistics from all angles. Mm -hmm. Um, But really what most uh, most interests me is is how are the customers engaging with the loyalty programs? Uh, And, and, you know, to be honest, to be fair, that's probably of interest for most uh, for the loyalty program providers. Yeah. Um, So, uh, of course, one interesting KPI that has caught my attention uh, was uh, the the engagement with um, millennials. Mm -hmm. And uh, one interesting statistic that I found um, was it was just the dynamic of how millennials engage with loyalty programs. So what the customers uh, w- within the age range really value um, mm-hmm. is some type of tangible reward, like a savings. So uh, what's interesting and, and what's the real value add for these loyalty programs, if this millennial group is willing to give data and something for return that they value, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in fact, uh, within some, some relevant um, surveys within the industry, I've seen that anywhere between fifty to 65 percent of this age range, they're willing to give some type of data mm-hmm. uh, in return for these discounts. So mm-hmm. I've seen things like anywhere between fifty three percent that they're interested in, in these special offers for, for items of interest, mm-hmm. so and they're willing to give this personal and uh, personal data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and share it with the company and the brand in order to get this. And even as high as 65% in getting these these coupons and discounts and loyalty points. Mm. So if you're able to give them some sort of incentives mm-hmm. uh, and drive engagement through capturing this data... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a real tremendous value add for the program, and, and that's really where I see, see everything going. I mean, you see in social media that the reasons why Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat have made so much money or so valuable yeah. um, are because, because they're getting all this data and then they're reselling it or they're using it for internal purposes uh, and then engaging even further with, with end customers. So if the brands can do that with their loyalty program, it's a super powerful tool.
0: Yeah. Wow. I think that's an amazing insight, Sid, because I think what um certainly what I'm hearing is that particularly that age range are so highly educated about the value of their own data. So, you know, data's been collected for years and obviously we've had to legislate certainly in Europe around all of that, sure. but I think what we've realized is there is a value exchange. It's not that the brand collects all of the data and benefits. We're kind of going, actually, now. no, there has to be something in it for me. So that sounds yeah, like it's coming through. Wow. Very clear. I love it.
2: Yeah. No,
1: great. Thank you.
0: Okay. Great start. And I know you mentioned you're, you're based in New York, Sid, but you do have um, responsibility for all of the Americas for Comark. So tell us some of the work that you're doing across, you know, that huge geographical area.
1: Right. Well, um, I'm fortunate to, to to be based here in New York. I'm I'm a native of the area, okay. uh, but I started out with Comark in uh, 2013. And actually, Comark, uh, where uh, I mean, compared to some of the other technology companies out there, we're a, a more mature uh, company. And but we we start off in Latin America in, in around 2013, mm-hmm. and we've really grown out the business there. But um, I, I, was originally based in Santiago, Chile, and then I came over here and back, back home and, and I'm working out of our, our, uh, New York offices in um, in the battery park area of Manhattan.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: what we're what we're doing is we're engaging with I mean up until now up until recently and I'll talk more I'll elaborate a little bit more about that, mm-hmm. but we've been typically engaging with the larger enterprise uh, companies and, and they vary based on industry mm-hmm. um, and, and helping them uh, implement new loyalty programs and platforms. Or if they're going to transition from another provider or from, uh, let's say, some internal uh, program or system uh, to a third-party provider uh, okay. as they grow and mature, mm-hmm. uh, then we'll work with them as well. And and Comar, what we're doing is we're providing them really with the brain behind, or, or the administration tools okay. uh, uh, to manage the day-to-day of the program, okay. um, as well to incorporate... Um, uh, engagement tools, uh, things like gamification. Uh, mm-hmm. We also offer AI and machine learning uh, mm-hmm. tools that can be incorporated within in the platform and integrated directly to um, provide real-time analytics But then also push out real-time interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, all of this, we've been, you know, we've been, and, and me, I've been fortunate enough to do this on behalf of Comer- our customers here and help them implement these technologies and tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it's been very interesting getting to see how, how loyalty programs have been maturing and, and, and mm-hmm. developing within each of the regions. Because of course the US, we're really at the you know, we're at the stronghold, I guess, of the loyalty programs. We were yeah. uh, of, of one of the first regions to introduce um, frequent flyer programs. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course that's developed through many industries, but yeah. you know, FPs tend to be the gold standard for loyalty and, and really the value there that it has for the companies, especially. Yeah. In today's age, where, where all these airlines <laughs> are relying on their revenues from, from these loyalty programs to keep them afloat to, totally. to pay everybody's salaries,
0: yeah, um, yeah.
1: so <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and, and besides, so so that's on the frequent flyer side, but then also really in Latin America, how I've seen things been developing, especially in places like Brazil and Colombia, is that they're really relying on these partnership-oriented uh, programs and coalition programs. Which have really benefited uh, through throughout this this latest pandemic, right? Where, yeah. um, you know, rather than having one core loyalty program that's linked to only uh, your spend for a particular item or service of that business, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's linked to you know twenty to a hundred partners, yeah. uh, where you can accrue or redeem your points there. Um, And fortunately, they've really flourished uh, in in times like this. So, um, Mm. you know, working with some of the larger banks, like Santander in Brazil and Banco do Brasil um, and Banco Colombia and Colombia, uh, we've seen these programs really develop over, you know, over the past few years, but especially in these past few months.
0: Yeah. And it's a point I've often made, actually, Sid, um, being in the industry that we are, we, we are almost counter-cyclical. So when there is um, anything going on in the wider economy, um, and perhaps, you know, there are recessions going on in various countries, I often feel that it's um, it's brave brands that suddenly go, it's an opportunity to differentiate. It's an opportunity to invest, but also the importance of investing in loyalty, suddenly becomes an extremely important strategic priority. So it sounds like that's what you're hearing coming through as well with, with your clients.
1: Most certainly.
0: And, and of
1: course, the, the degrees of how they want to leverage these loyalty programs to generate revenue vary sometimes yeah. I speak to programs that just ultimately say we want to keep customers engaged yeah that's our that's, that's our angle yeah we want them to earn points and we want them to redeem them yeah. great if we generate some revenue but at the end of the day yeah. we want to f- make sure our customers feel valued so okay. we do that vis-a-vis our loyalty program um, and that's and again, like like I mentioned it varies uh, mm-hmm. but usually on the travel side it's a bit more lucrative yeah and, and uh, there's significant value there on the Else, and FMCB, FMCG, and CPG. A lot of times, it's just to engage with them, uh, know who their customer is, mm. and make sure that they remain a loyalty customer throughout their uh, in their their lifetime.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it is great actually when there is that clarity of focus because um, often there's the internal dynamic. I think of maybe the CFO does see the revenue opportunity and wants to um, you know to be very promotional perhaps with the loyalty program, whereas um, you know more uh, customer centric management in my experience tend to go actually no, let's not take advantage of this. You know, let's make sure it's a mutually beneficial loyal relationship.
1: Yeah, of course, of course that's what's so interesting about my, my job is that I'm, I'm really indifferent. I, I, <laughs> I, I get to sit down to these meetings and talk with these C-level marketing executives and IT executives yeah. and be the fly on the wall. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're talking about the real strategy behind that drives the program. And, and I, 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 like I, like you mentioned earlier, I do listen to a lot of your podcasts and it's interesting because they're, of course, these, these, Subject matter experts and within yeah. their companies or yeah. within the industry, they're focused on their company and their industry, yeah. um, and maybe other benchmarks within respective industries. But I get to see it from all angles. Um, so, so that said, it's it's not always easy to translate and uh, to to understand um, what the company is trying to do that specific company because I only understand it from a very high level. Yeah, uh, but still from from a macro. Uh, view. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've seen from all angles how loyalty programs can ultimately impact the program um, and do things like drive uh, whether it's drive revenue, reduce churn, um, yeah. or strengthen customer lifetime value um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or the the net promoter scores. Um, so. Like I mentioned, I've seen it from all angles, and uh, it's it, there's not necessarily one metric to follow uh, yeah. from even any within any respective industry mm. um, or uh, or type of business.
2: Mm.
0: And in your experience, I'm, I'm genuinely curious now from my own personal experience, I suppose being a consultant, there's quite a lot of similarity in that I do get to go into lots of companies. So in your experience, like would a lot of these C-suite executives typically uh, be looking to you for guidance on, on what the returns might be that they will get with, you know, uh, adopting and investing in loyalty overall, uh, just because you have that level of visibility, or do you think they tend to have that kind of customer-focused mindset and they're literally just looking for a good partner to, to facilitate it? Or is it a mix of both? It,
1: yeah, it really varies. Uh, of course, they like to get our insight yeah. um, and they value it, uh, but they, they either have their own internal teams to crunch those numbers and come up with, uh, I guess, the liability of, of investing in a loyalty program,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but then there are other times where they are genuinely interested and they want to, to hear our perspective. Yeah, and. For for all those C-level executives listening, mm. I think that is the best way. Even though that you, you might have your own internal resources, you might yeah. hire um, a consulting company, like I know you've spoken with Bain or KPMG. Yeah. So they have a lot of the framework to develop these insights and provide you with maybe these metrics or ROI estimates uh, within, within their business analysis cases. But uh, the, the IT and service providers also have... Uh, quite a bit of understanding of, of really how your program or your strategy and, um, on the, on the, the functional, on the marketing and operation side can translate to a successful loyalty program so you don't have to take um, uh, you don't have to take everything that your service providers say um, mm-hmm. so seriously and build your program around it necessarily that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is at least listen to to some of the insight that they're providing yeah. Um, yeah. and and hopefully whether that aligns with your vision overall company vision or not I, I don't know but it, yeah. it could be of some 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 help
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's another key ingredient. You're absolutely right, actually. I've always liked that idea of let's leverage the expertise because we're investing anyway. um, And the relationship tends to be um, extremely useful and and ideally long term because clearly there is so much work that goes into building these partnerships. So, yeah, makes sense.
1: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely
0: now you mentioned some of the sexy stuff Sid. Um, so you've mentioned machine learning you've mentioned AI and gamification and I would say I have a good marketing understanding of these terms but which of them uh, would you say are the most useful because I do feel sometimes they are words that are used um, you know literally to you know to impress that you know I suppose that it's a comprehensive innovative solution but in terms of the practical impact and benefit on loyalty programs which would you say of these areas is is the the most useful to our listeners
1: sure um, and I'll, I'll be completely transparent here so I, I started off working in the loyalty industry uh, back in 2013 and, and uh, with callmark in fact and we've been using these buzzwords yeah uh, like gamification, Uh, Not AI and machine learning so early on, probably in the past (laughs) five years. Uh, But things like gamification, social mining, engagement um, for quite some time now. And I I really do um, have confidence in these types of loyalty and marketing um, strategies and and tools Mm -hmm. uh, because there is value there. And a lot of companies love to hear about it. When I go to the strategy meetings or annual meetings, uh, that's a lot of what we talk about and what we're doing. Yeah. But with the hundred loyalty customers that we're working with and, and, and that we've spoken to, there's been very few that have adopted um, these tools. Not just okay. from us, but from other providers. Sure. Because while they like to hear about it and it's interesting, to yes. implement it is 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 not. It could be cumbersome. And, mm. and we have the expertise to help with that, uh, yeah. but it involves a lot of moving parts
2: okay. and
1: other parts of the business as well. Mm. So uh, a lot of people talk about it, and they do small incremental things, like whether it's purchase um, marketing slots on Facebook or other social media streams, um, maybe doing a social media campaign, but um, incorporating all of this data, uh, all of this social interaction. Gamified, um, uh, gamified experiences incorporating into the loyalty program. Mm. Uh, there's been only a few companies who've done that really well, um, and we've been fortunate to work with a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's so much room to grow there. And then I, I, I'm a big advocate of of, of uh, engagement and, and social media and social mining. So, you know, getting that data from social media platforms, incorporating into the loyalty programs, and not just having. Uh, more of the tangible uh, data metrics from them like transactions and uh, how much they've engaged uh, from purely a purchase perspective, but Mm -hmm. also how are they engaging on the social front? And are they talking about the brand? Mm -hmm. Um, Are they providing feedback uh, through third parties? Um, That's really where you find a lot of the value because you can reward your customers for things that aren't necessarily related just to uh, transactions. Um, But that, again, that's been, I'm sure you being in the industry, you've been hearing that forever. When I say forever, let's say the past decade. Yeah, uh, because these things <laughs> they they <laughs> grow pretty quickly and they you know they evolve. Yeah. Um, but now and they're slowly getting incorporated. And some of the major social media or technology players are creating loyalty programs, which can be integrated with uh, third-party loyalty programs. So it makes it extremely easy uh, for companies like uh, let's say a large fashion designer okay. or a cosmetic company. To integrate with a large social media platform mm. and to push out uh, advertising there to give um, to give personalized coupons or point incentives to customers to engage with their brand on social media yeah. on advertisements, and they can even keep all of that and incorporate all of that into um, a portfolio or a wallet within that social media platform. That's a major one. Um, Wow. So uh, you're starting to see things like this, and it's been very easy for these companies to adopt these new technologies. There's very little work on their side that they have to do. So I, I foresee that being the, the future on the social side and the engagement. Mm.
2: And then you
1: talk about AI machine learning, which is the sexy part, and we love to hear about that. And uh, a lot of companies have already adopted this, like, uh, streamlining certain operations and processes, like... You know, big things, with drive revenue. Uh, it can save them significantly a, a lot of money on the bottom line. Um, but uh, for, for marketing, they've adopted small incremental things. And what we've been doing to to give them a taste of what AI machine learning can do, we're doing these pilots and proof of concepts with them to extract, let's say, a, a few years of data Analyze that, put it through our machine learning algorithms, Mm. and then uh, provide them with unique insights they've never had to their customers. So whether that's being um, enhanced fraud uh, monitoring, to look for these anomalies uh, that may have happened in certain regions uh, or certain stores, which uh, directly... Um, directly indicate that there were fraud among their employees, among certain uh, customer
2: groups, yeah. or
1: IP addresses if they're trying to enroll thousands of people at the same time to get some bonus,
2: yeah,
1: uh, and then sell sell those points in the black market, yeah, um, or 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 the dark web, sorry, not the black totally, market, the
0: yes, I know, absolutely, um, yeah,
1: and then. And then also machine learning for enhanced marketing. Um, so this this personalized marketing, which, again, everybody loves to talk about, but how do you actually provide personal marketing? And I'm not yeah. talking about grouping a customer who's between 35 and 45 and totally. that lives in a particular region in a segment and send them a special promotion. Yeah. We've been doing that for twenty-five, thirty years. Sure, uh, but doing something that could be done in real time mm. and based on rather than two or three attributes within a specific segment, hundreds,
2: um,
1: and that's what we're doing with some major retailers right now on smaller scales, like pilots. Okay. Yeah. So uh, again, these initiatives can take time, and that's mm-hmm. why we usually start off on a smaller, smaller scale. Yeah. Um So, for example, with companies uh, that some of the largest automotive makers largest few retailers um, uh, the, in the Horeca industry like uh, uh, Costa Coffee. Mm. Um, we're doing a lot of initiatives with them uh, which are based on our, our AI and machine learning technology. Mm. Um, helping identify Costa, which we're you know, lucky enough to call one of our, our customers, yeah. uh, our global customers, identifying individual patterns in uh, its customers' behavior and provide offers that are generally aligned with their preferences and where they are and what they need, um, so uh, so not only do you get the value from from getting additional insight uh, into your customers' purchasing behaviors, but then you can use that in real time to drive real time interactions, yeah. uh, which uh, which is really where the value is for these loyalty brands. Mm. Because especially with with companies like Costa Coffee, where it's very common for a customer to download the mobile app. Do things like pre-ordering, uh, loading their uh, their their cards with um, pre yeah,
0: with value, or, yeah,
1: yeah, loading their their cards with stored value, yeah. um, and then using them to to purchase directly from the store. It's yeah. very uh, convenient for for the companies like this to drive this real time uh, marketing and personalized offers in an engaging way. So that's really what we see as being more of a sexy, uh, as you put it, uh, more of a, an attractive yeah. and yeah. innovative technology, yeah. which we're trying to incorporate in a subtle yeah. um, and intuitive way with, within our, our tool set. And yeah. um, I, I would say most companies do, like I mentioned, they, they do have some access to ai and machine learning technologies. Uh, but if you're really able to leverage your providers who provide you if you're really able to leverage uh, your provider's uh, capabilities and technologies yeah. to enhance the overall value add for the customer, yeah. um, I strongly suggest that. Because, of course, you develop these technologies internally, yeah. uh, but we often see the value uh, just going directly with the, with,
0: with the partner. Yeah, I, I have to say, I find that's a huge relief to hear because <laughs> as I said, I hear the terms, I have a, you know, a rudimentary understanding of them, but I, I, I keep coming up with the question of, well, why do I need machining learning and why do I need AI? And, but when you talk about something like, yeah, I'm going to preload um, some stored value, I'm like, okay, my commercial marketing brain is now excited going, okay, fantastic. Can you do that, please? <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, that makes much more sense to me than all the data stuff. I'm, I'm not the data geek, although maybe I should be, but, you know, each to their own, well, perhaps.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's why you work with specific people or hire internally to, to oversee that. That's yeah. their job. Um, and, and just one additional thing I want to add. Everybody, and, and you've heard it, there's always buzzwords within like a one yes. to two year period, maybe even five or ten years uh, and machine learning has certainly been that across all sectors, yeah. and industries. Yeah. However, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard to see how it directly impacts your, your business or your bottom line. I, I like to think about um, new technologies like electronic uh, or electric vehicles. Sorry, electric okay. vehicles. Yeah. Um, and how electric vehicles seemed like a dream 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. Tesla was one of the first providers and they provided this roadster, which was so impractical. Yeah. Uh, you're like, oh, that's cute for like you know uh, somebody who just retired and, and needs some you yeah. know um, uh, a run around. Some excitement in their life?
2: Yeah.
1: yeah, who's going through a midlife crisis. but uh, <laughs> now Tesla has penetrated pretty much every market across the globe. Yes and they appeal to different uh, to to different price ranges yes. um, and segments of customers. And now you see a Tesla wherever you go. Um, and of course, it's a bit more tangible because you see it, and AI machine learning a little bit behind, a little bit more behind the scenes. Yeah. But this is where technology is going to be taking us. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, uh, probably every loyalty platform out there within the next two to three years is going to have this built-in uh, and and any marketing technology um, mm. is going to have some facet uh, that's being managed by AI and machine learning, yeah. and maybe you don't understand it, like yourself and, and myself, because I, I can talk about it, but when you go into the inner workings, God knows I'll get lost in a second, yeah. um, uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to be there, uh, and it's going to be driving these very... Uh, yeah. intimate um, customer experiences, mm. uh, which is going to be driven by that data. And just circling back to the beginning of our conversation, yeah. that data, you know, data is yeah. king for the past 50 years who've been saying it. Yeah. But now more and more as we have more access to it and we're yeah. able to give incentives to, to, to get additional data from our customers and they're willing to provide it for some yeah. discount or tangible reward, yeah. um, that's what's really made AI and machine learning interesting for everybody.
0: Mm. Yeah. And yeah, somebody made a a funny point there a couple of weeks ago when um, he was, I suppose, challenging um, our fascination as an industry with the whole data um, and and mining data and and gathering insights. And what he basically said is, look, you know, I've been married to my wife for 25 years. I still don't know what she wants for Christmas. So, you know, how on earth is your algorithm going to tell me? (laughs) And I thought that was hilarious. But I love your point. (laughs) I just thought it was genius because we all. All do it yeah. every Christmas, going. Oh my God, what am I going to buy? And yet, on you know the flip side, in the office, we're talking about how well we know our customers. And um, so, there, there definitely is a challenge to you know making it real and making it useful, uh, which is what I'm hearing. But what I like what you're talking about, Sid, is the um, the social mining, because I think that's where we all um, I think very very you know authentically now we realise that every single click is being monitored, and you know, um, and that that. Can be to our benefit, uh, which is exactly the point that you're making. So I love social mining. Like I haven't had the, um, the, the good fortune to, to really work on a program that's been doing social mining well. Um, but I love that you're talking about it. Um, and as you said, if the, um, if the platforms globally, and we all know who they are, that um, have access to, to this level of scale and information, and they're supporting you guys and your clients to give us all useful learnings, I think that's, um, that's extraordinary progress.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, this has been around for, for quite some time. That's why, I, as I mentioned, I, we've been talking about it and implementing these, um, these solutions that are built around engagement and social mining uh, yeah. for the past decade. Uh, one yeah. of our first customers we've done that successfully with was um, was a well-known airline, JetBlue. Yeah. And we started, we were the one of the first um, loyalty providers uh, and technology partners out there to help uh, with this badge initiative. Mm. Um, and now you've seen it across all sectors and industries, especially all airlines. Um, but what the real value there is, is um, how the customers engage with these badges after they get them. So do they share them on social media? Okay. Um, you, mean you gamification badges?
0: You mean, yeah, exactly. yeah, leaderboards exactly. and okay, got it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah,
1: and and that's um, again. So there, there are a few industries where it works really well. Okay. But w- what's the challenge, and what we've seen with a lot of our customers is that they don't necessarily work, uh, or, or sorry, they, they don't uh, operate in in uh, the same environment or or of course industry as like an airline or frequent flyer program. Uh, and the way they engage with their customers are a bit different. So how do you use your touch points with your customer and your yes. interaction points to, to engage them?
0: And and can I ask, Sid? In your experience, do do consumers welcome them? Because I'm I'm you know very much. I'm very curious, genuinely. Because sometimes I'm like, yeah, definitely. I really want that dress, and I you know as soon as it comes in, let me know. But I think there's there's a very fine line between um, you know over targeting um, or making assumptions, um, and I think there are probably cultural sensitivities that again, you know, with the kind of scale that you've got, you know. Maybe it's acceptable in the Netherlands or the US. Uh, maybe in Dubai, we're a very, you know, retail, um, very fond of retail in this, in this part of the world. So what, what's your experience of the consumer feedback from these uh, platforms?
1: Well, certainly. Um, so a lot of the times we go into a specific region uh, where we're operating, right? And, and we, of course, because we are a Polish company, I'm not Polish by descent. I, I am Polish by descent, actually. <laughs> oh, uh wow. but From a long time ago.
0: Well done, you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so, a happy coincidence. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so when, uh, when we, we start operating in a specific region, of course, we, we consult with local consultants. Um, we, prov- uh, we, we hire uh, local resources and that helps. So we yeah. tend to have an idea of what works and what doesn't work. Sure. When we're dealing on such a, uh, a global scale, a lot of times the nuances of doing business or uh, retail behavior um, or, or customer interactions and, and what's uh, what's accepted and what's not, yeah. uh, it could be on a uh, it could be on a business by business basis within the respective industries. Because again, on the frequent fire programs, uh, a lot of times there's just industry benchmarks globally that, that work, mm. um, like the lounges, VIP the access. Yeah. Um, of course. Maybe how often the customer, you know, these frequent buyers yeah. uh, engage, their levels of engagement are significantly higher than other like retail. Um, so typically we rely on local resources to understand that. Um, but then, as we go into um, as we go into the business, and we speak with the c levels, um, who know their business best, and we know the regions best, we talk to them uh, very candidly, and we, we say, "Listen, you guys know your business," and and this is something I heard. I remember our CEO Janusz Filipiak. Uh, we were with the CEO of Natura, which is you know, the top five largest uh, cosmetics company in in the world. Yeah, and we were talking about strategy and and ways to enhance the program. And you know, at the, end of the day, he said, "Listen, you know your program and you know your customers best. Uh, we, of course, have a lot of insight and data that could help you um, add value, mm. but we we rely on you and, mm. and that's typically how we operate. we We have workshops uh, where we try to understand what a customer experience is trying to provide. If they're trying to do something a bit more innovative with the edge, okay. uh, we certainly support them and we tell them what global benchmarks are there, what great um, examples have we seen within their industry, the loyalty program, marketing program, uh, approaching their customers in a more dynamic and engaging way. Mm. Um, but we usually rely on the, uh, the customer to to give us that framework. Okay. Um, and then, then we start providing, you know, telling them, listen, with your technology stack, uh, with the tools that we have, world, well, we
2: can do okay. this
1: it a, 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 or a no-go. Um, and then we can tweak that as we go along and we can try things like, you know, maybe if it's a cutting edge uh, technology or a way of engaging with the customers that may seem um, uh, a bit forthcoming, then mm. we can do that in a piloted scenario. So if they have multiple locations sure. or maybe we just want to try on the digital front on the website yeah. or on the mobile app. We can then choose a very select group of customers or sites, locations, and then try that and see how it works and see if uh, there really is any interest there.
2: Um,
1: So, again, we we start off by the region hiring locally, uh, working with local uh, vendors and and consultants, and then, of course, going to uh, the the customer and trying to understand what they want, who their customer is, and then how we can
2: help.
0: Okay. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, um, and, and I like the idea of pilots because again, you know, so many companies, you know, there's just too much at stake to, 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 to make big decisions um, without having that uh, reassurance, I suppose, of, you know, let's build it, let's try it and, uh, and then roll it out. So, uh, so it makes an awful lot of sense. Yeah, and and just
1: further to that point, and, and other ways that we've seen it is is sometimes when these companies are against the clock because a lot of times because of their budget, because that yeah. they're transitioning between vendors or providers, yeah. they have a very short timeline, and they yeah. say, "Listen, at the end of the day, we want to do this." Yeah, but January, January first, we need to launch our program. And that's really, it's tough because you're coordinating between a lot of uh, moving pieces there, internal IT resources, business resources, there's financial constraints, and then of course we have our own constraints. Um, so a lot of times you have to do a staged approach where there's, it's called MVP and minimal viable product that you have sure. to implement. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, meet the basic customer requirements. And then slowly in a phase approach, introduce these new features or technologies, yeah. um, which could be, again, cutting edge, could be maybe in a piloted scenario. Yeah. Um, that's entirely up to them. But just if, if you, you know, there's, there's a lot of options out there. And of course, there could, you could have a gun to your head with the budget or timing. Yeah. Um, but there, there are ways to work around that. And, and a good, experienced, mature uh, vendor, partner, technology provider. Yeah. Should be able to work with you on that. Especially in
0: loyalty and that kind yeah. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, Mature and, um, yeah, reassuring. Because, again, there's just, I'm always like mildly terrified when somebody says we're going to change the platform. I'm like, oh, my Lord. Uh, You know, it is, it's such a huge thing to do. So, yeah, (laughs) totally right. I need somebody to to hold (laughs) my hand. sugarcoat that. Uh, Totally, totally. Exactly. I want to just go back to something you also picked up on, um, or you mentioned earlier, Sid, about fraud. Um, because yeah. I feel that's something that a lot of loyalty professionals maybe um, don't have time to think about, maybe don't want to think about, but is it is it genuinely something that you think needs more attention? Is it becoming a bigger problem? And the reason I wanted to pick up on it, I was at the loyalty magazine conference, the loyalty surgery in London last year, and they talked about the dark web and there was a, a specialist, and expert talking about people trading hundreds of millions of loyalty points, and I had no idea that the, the um, level of you know, criminal side of the loyalty industry even existed. Um, so sure. clearly, we can put our best you know, foot forward, we can put our business rules in place, but is there stuff going on that, that you're, you would sound a warning that something everybody listening to this podcast should think about and, and be looking to, to maybe think about a bit more in the future?
1: Yeah, of course. And that's a very good point, Paula. Um, so one thing that often gets overlooked uh, is how loyalty fraud impacts the customer experience. Because if you look at, and I, I hate to name, drop names, uh, but Starwoods, right, and Marriott, and they had a very rough uh, merger from a uh, technology platform and migration perspective. Okay. And everybody knows about that, how there were just hundreds of customer or, or hundreds of millions of customers, um, hundreds of millions of members Um were impacted by this, okay. uh, and first of all, the program was offline. And then the biggest thing was there was a huge security breach for hundreds of millions of customers, and their information, like passports and sensitive um, sensitive data, was released onto the onto the web and the dark web. Yeah, you go on the dark web, and then you can search people's names or, or programs. And uh, you can find uh, you can find valuable information from them. You yeah. can ext- you know you can pay pennies on the dollar for their for you know, like a thousand points uh, or a thousand dollars worth of points. Yeah. Um, and you know knowing this and, and being a customer of, of a company like Starwoods or, or Marriott, that could be troubling. And they're not the only one. Believe me, I was just I was sure. just giving an example that's well known. Yeah. There are a lot of loyalty programs out there that have had similar, uh, experiences. Um, yeah. Yeah. so w- what we've done, and, and, it, and again, it varies on industry, um, because certain industries are much more prone. They have, I like to say big targets on their back, uh, for loyalty fraud, especially ones where there's, uh, uh, greater amounts of transactions. Um, and, they have more engagement with mm. the, the end customers. Mm. if you give your customers or programs any incentives to share data to sign up, mm-hmm. getting a few hundred points, which may be worth fifty cents, a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. Yeah. Uh, if you give them these incentives uh, to to sign up to um, to subscribe to a specific promotion or newsletter, uh, this gives fraudsters, which we call them. Uh, a lot of room to target your, your, your company. Okay. Uh, so, what they'll do is they'll sign up for hundreds of thousands of newsletters, get those points, consolidate them into one account. Wow. Uh, it can be done. Wow. Uh, and then to sell them on the dark web, it's wow. uh, redeem it for a gift card. And maybe that's only one fraudster. But yeah. again, uh, and they might only do it for $500, $1,000. And that's not going to affect your bottom line as a larger enterprise or even a mid sized. Yeah. But you multiply that by hundreds of thousands, and there's a huge liability. Yeah. So we've been working with our, our loyalty customers, first of all, to identify where the weak points are in their program. Yeah. And, and based on our experience, uh, that 20 years of experience we have in, in loyalty. Yeah. And um, that's one thing. And of course, uh, all loyalty platforms, a lot of them have ways to monitor for uh,
2: Yeah
1: instances of, of fraud, yeah. uh, and, and that's understood. Uh, but this is what we're looking for now, and, and we're using our AI machine learning technology, uh, is to look for these anomalies that's, hap- that's happening within the data. Mm. Um, so we look for these weak points, mm-hmm. and then we look at specific customers or profiles or regions, and we say, oh, okay, well, this is normal because yeah. uh, on this day, it was, it was a very hot day. Okay. So then everybody decided to go to the beach, and, uh, for some reason, uh, you know, they, they were buying a lot of this product and they were deeming their points the next day because they got a special promotion and it was just an anomaly or, or something that, that, um, again was, that had nothing to do with fraud, but then there are other instances where you can, you can see specific employees behavior within a store and seeing that they're, they're accruing, redeeming hundreds of thousands of points. Yeah. Um, and you can stop those smaller instances of fraud.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Sid, and, um, and fantastic to know that you are, I suppose, uh, supporting clients on all of that, because I think what um, what we tend to forget is we're creating so much value uh, with our loyalty programs, as intended, but there is probably a whole new level of sophistication in terms of the possibility of fraud. So definitely something that every, every loyalty program Manager and director listening to this show probably needs to be thinking ahead about. So um, so thank you for that. Um, The final question I wanted to get into from my side, Sid, was um, actually some uh, regional activity that's been going on here um, in the UAE. And listeners around the world may or may not know the brand name ADNOC, which stands for the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. And they recently launched a loyalty program, which is powered by Comark, which is amazing. Um, They are the biggest company in the UAE, so it's an extraordinary success story. But also, um, I had mentioned uh, one of my favorite episodes recently was with Etihad Airways to then discover they're also a Comark client. And, of course, now they're working together. So tell us the kind of stuff that uh, Etihad and Adnock are doing that you're supporting.
1: Um, Well, they've done something that we've been advocating, especially over the past Six to nine months. Okay, um, is is relying on local strategic partnerships. Okay, and especially given that the current um, environment has changed for for buyer behavior, particularly in in industries like uh, airlines and fuel retail. Totally. Um, we've really honed in on the point that they should um, engage with with strategic partners. Uh, which can add value to the overall program. Yeah. So, our two value customers had not been at the they went ahead and they began working together, um, announcing this partnership recently back in August. Yeah. Um, And we fortunately, we've been fortunate enough to to help power both of these these programs on the platform side. Amazing. Um, And they've enabled their customers to uh, essentially exchange points between both programs. Cool. And this is really the type of uh, synergy that we're encouraging our customers to look for within multiple industries in their market. Mm. Um, it's not always easy to establish these um, these partnerships or these relationships. And then, of course, integrate technologies. Sometimes it can be very uh, relatively seamless uh, things. You know, points can be exchanged rel- uh, relatively seamlessly between the programs. And from yeah. a technical perspective, there's not a lot of, it's not very hands-on. Okay. Uh, but then from the business perspective, it could be a bit more intricate. Mm. Uh, but Adnag and Etihad they went ahead and they did that. Yeah. Um, and this is something certainly we're encouraging, uh, and we are uh, very excited to see what comes of this, as it's a relatively new partnership. Yes. Um, the, again, the collaboration is developing, and there's so much that we see for them in the future, uh, a lot of value add.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Adnok is definitely um, a company I've written about. And because of the first fuel brand actually in this country to launch a loyalty program, I'm super impressed and obviously watching very closely. So hopefully we'll get them on the show as well at some point uh, in the future, Sid. So definitely we'll be, um, I suppose, supporting that collaboration because at the end of the day, you know, people aren't getting to fly as much as they want. It probably means they're driving more. So it's fundamentally... uh, Beneficial to get it on both sides, huh?
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, that's uh, the, the summer here. I know there was a lot more traffic than usual because at the end of the day, people yeah. aren't traveling uh, totally. or, or via via uh, via airplane. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone's getting in their cars. Our, yeah. our customer valued fuel retail customers um, like uh, ExxonMobil here in the US, BP Global, yeah. um, while there's been with industry um there's certainly a lot of opportunity for engaging with customers and, and in particular on the loyalty program side, yeah uh, and giving them some unique benefits and advantages of rather than taking a flight to uh, to their you know favorite tourist destination, uh, whether it's driving there or driving to a more local area or for, yeah. for uh, their leisure.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and I suppose it's um, you know, as we said, times are changing. You know, there's been a lot of um, evolution in loyalty over the last forty years. As long as it's been happening, but everything has been magnified, multiplied, and just I suppose transformed almost overnight in the last few months. Is there anything else you've seen, Sid, in, in your um, from your perspective there in New York with, with Comark in terms of uh, behavior changes that um, that you're interested in, in noticing or that? We We should be thinking a bit more about.
1: Um, Well, in 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 the U.S., especially like a more uh, urban area like New York, uh, people, and as you've probably heard and and experienced yourself, have been relying on delivery services, um, and you've seen so much happening within those industries uh, of larger. Um, technology or retailer companies investing in these delivery services. Um, companies like Amazon, for example, who own Whole Foods, a large um, yeah. upscale uh, supermarket here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and uh, they've had delivery service for a few years now. Uh, but since the pandemic hit, uh, of course, it's, it's grown significantly. Um, and I would say usually uh, you know, I'm in, in Brooklyn and I will see maybe you know a few deliveries being handed off uh, let's say earlier this year or last year, and yeah. now the the roads are um, jam packed with delivery service providers and, and you know Whole yeah. Foods in this case. But well, yeah. something that's interesting they've, they've done and they've implemented is they've just introduced a uh, supermarket, or new Whole Foods that that's within a mile of another one, um, you know, actually walking distance, and. But what's unique about this is that I can't go there and it's not open to the public. It's really uh, they they have all their food there. They have all um, their products there, uh, but it's only meant for the online delivery service. So it's this huge, basically, uh, warehouse that they have filled up to meet this new demand. Wow. of course, it's one aspect of the customer uh, relationship that's changed between companies and service providers, yeah. uh, retailers and service providers. Uh, but in general, we see this as a, as a growing trend. So uh, f- we've invested quite a bit of, uh, of our resources in things like um, uh, pre-ordering and, and, and pickup uh, at uh, locations via mobile apps or digital technologies mm. um, so you can order on the go, pick it yeah. up curbside, which, yeah. which we call here. Um, And they come and deliver it right to your car. Mm. There's a lot of moving pieces to that. It's not like that happens overnight. Um, uh, And depending on the product set that you have or the services you're offering. Mm. Um, So we certainly see a lot of movement there. Mm. And it's, it's from our perspective, it's, it's been a rush uh, trying to meet the demand for that. Again, we're working with some of the more well-known companies out there who say, listen, if, if we're losing our, our market share, it, yeah. it's do or die. So yeah. they're putting all their effort, their best foot forward in adopting these new technologies or enhancing the existing technologies they already have yeah. to meet the new demands and new dynamic of their customers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's super exciting, Sid. My goodness. And you know what I love is that you do have that kind of global perspective of, yeah, that's what's happening in Abu Dhabi. This is what's happening in Brooklyn and, uh, you know, the, sure. the South America piece as well. So is there anything else, Sid, that you wanted to mention um, from your perspective before we wrap up?
1: No, I, I think that just about does it. Um, I think we, we hit all the major points and, um, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah. I'm happy with it. Yeah.
0: Wonderful, Sid. Well, listen, um, I have to say it's been super fascinating talking to you. I'm really hoping that we can do uh, lots more of these conversations going forward. I know Comark, in fact, just from talking to lots of um, uh, loyalty program managers over the years, Comark has often hosted events um, when physical events were allowed in order to do a lot of this kind of collaborative and shared learning. Um, I think often in Poland and obviously at different events around the world. And indeed, I know you do a lot of speaking engagements Yourself, Sid. So, uh, looking forward to working more closely with you and uh, just want to say thank you so much, Sydney Dunn, Client and Business Development Director for Comark in the Americas. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research.